Amen. A lot of exciting stuff going on. Um, and I loved your kingdom teaching on that too, Julia. That was awesome. Um, today I have a kind of a heavy message for you. Um, I just feel like the Holy Spirit wants to touch people's hearts and do some healing today. We're talking about the kingdom advancing and things. Well, the part of the kingdom advancing is advancing in us and coming to know who we really are in Christ. But in Malachi 4, 5, and 6, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So we can see here that God desires to turn hearts to fathers and the hearts of the children back to their fathers, the fathers to the children. Having a father in our life is very important. Whether that's a spiritual father, biological father, uh, you know, uh, your earthly father, heavenly father, it's very important. And when someone in, doesn't have a father in their life, it can be a major impact on them. Yeah. Or a mother. They don't have a mother in their life. Someone that, you know, we used to work across North School and those kids were taken from their parents because of abuse and neglect. We were there for six and a half years. We worked with, I don't know, probably more than 100 kids. In our time there, I probably only worked with two dads the whole time. Two, only two dads I can remember that ever came to visit their kids Sunday, usually visitation day, only two that I remember. And these kids would have done every, anything they could to have a family. They would have been, they wouldn't care if it was a good family. They didn't care if it was a, they just wanted any family, anyone to love them, anybody. They'd even go back to this functional home that they came from. They just wouldn't want to be there. Because when they were there, they didn't feel normal. We're traveling around in a 15-pasture bus. They're feeling self-conscious. They don't feel like they're normal. They have very little say what's going on in our life. The court system has a lot to say. The police have a lot to say. DSS has a lot to say. And they have very little to say, and, and they didn't do anything wrong. Their parents are ones that neglected them and abused them or whatever they did to them. But these kids grew up thinking it was their fault. This happened because of them. Their parents got divorced because of them, or this happened because of them. And they, they struggle with that. So... Um, these kids would do anything for a family. And so often these kids are taken from their homes, even in the middle of the night. The cops will come. DSS shows up. They take these kids. We received a family of four one night at 2 or 3 in the morning. Holly and I were off shift, and they called us in to come take care of these kids. They had nothing on but their pajamas. They had nothing else. And, you know, when people go through stuff like that, it has an impact on your life. And it doesn't just impact your life for that night those kind of events can have an impact on your life for years and years to come. Uh, one of the teens that we worked with, he didn't even know who his father was. He had no idea who his dad was. And the kids used to make jokes, you know, kids will be kids, but they'd say, hey, maybe that guy's your dad, going through Walmart. Or, hey, maybe that guy's your dad. And, just, and they would laugh so hard. He laughed after a while, because after what else can you do, you know? But it, it was just, he had no idea who his dad was. And you know, and you don't know who your father is, you don't know who your heavenly father is, either one. It's going to have a big impact on your life. It's going, to, it's going to impact your life in a big way. So fatherlessness is a problem in our country. Yeah. It's a major problem. We talk about the crime problem. We talk about this problem and that problem. The biggest problem, more than the crime, is fatherlessness. Yeah. Last night I was speaking to one of our Crossnor boys. I haven't spoke to him in years. He just got out of prison. Been in there, I think, for four plus years he said for something he didn't do. I know they all say that. I don't know if it's true or not, whatever, but that's what he told me. We spoke on the phone for over an hour last night. And the stuff that he is going through right now, 
the stuff that he was born into. Uh, his, I don't know how he's alive. I don't know how he's doing it. I don't know if I could do what he's doing. He can't, he can't find, hardly find a job because he's an ex-con now. He tries to get a job and then they say, well, they find out about his story then they don't want to hire him or don't want to work there anymore. He, he has no money, so how do you get a car? How do you get car insurance? How do you get to work? There's no public transportation. Then he talks about his family issues and stuff. His, his real dad, he knows his dad, but his dad has nothing to do with him. You're a grown man now. You've got to help yourself. I can't, he wouldn't even let him store a few things at his house. Well, he's trying to find a transition home, a halfway house, something to help him get back in the swing of things. This dad has been an absolute bomb in his life. I'll just say that. Just a bomb. His mother was as bad or worse than him. And so here this kid's born in this situation, and, uh, and then he's grown up in society trying to make it. And he hasn't the first clue what it means to be a man or to be responsible or to not go with the right crowd or try to do anything he can to get money. And, you know, when you grow up like that, it is difficult. It is hard. It's very hard. And one of our problems in our country is fatherlessness. I have another one. This, actually, this guy's brother. He's now in prison. They actually, another sad part of their story is they were adopted years ago. And then both the parents that adopted them died, like 10 years ago. Both of them of some diabetic issues from spruce pine. They were living there at the time. So then they had no family. They had a family, then they died, and now they're back to having no family. So, in the Greek, the word, I have this uh, slide there, if you guys put it up, fatherlessness in the Greek is the word orphanos, is where we get our word for orphan. And it means destitute of a teacher or a guide. Destitute of a teacher or a guide. And another one, uh, says in there, another meaning for fatherlessness is without a known author or inventor. When you don't know your author, when you don't know your inventor, when you don't know a teacher or a guide in your life, whether this is spiritual or the natural, this is going to have a major impact on your life. Because there's, there's people trying to write your story. You know, God wants to write your story, and he will if you let him. But if you don't know the author, you know, the guy whose name's in the back of the book. You know, I, I wrote a book over here. And on the back it has about the author on there, and it says a little blurb about me. You'd know very little about me from reading the back of that book, <laughs> that's for sure. You'd know a little bit more from reading inside of it. But we need to read God's book if we want to know the author. Yeah. Yeah. More than just the back cover or the, or, the, or the title. There's another father in this world that's out there trying to make you believe something else. And he wants to write your story too. So um, without a, without a fatherlessness is without a known author or inventor. Without a known author or inventor. Without an author, someone else is going to write your story. Okay? So I want you to think about that for a minute. God is our father. The Bible says he's a father to the fatherless. He is our father. But if we don't know that, we're, we're, going to mean, we're not going to know the author, then who is going to write your story? Yeah. Who's going to write your story? Who tells, you, who, who, who tells you who you are? Who builds you up? Who encourages you? Who edifies you? You don't have a father. Thinking of even these kids I used to work with. We tried our best to love on them and care for them and do as much as we could. But, and we did fill a void for a season. But now they're 30 years old. And they still don't have a dad in their life. And that impact is still hurting them even to this day. Yeah. So... God wants to write our story, but if we reject his, his word for us, his story for us, it's not going to go so well, is it? 
You know, for some of us in here, the first three, four, five chapters of your life, maybe it didn't go very well. But you know, God is an expert of taking messes and making great stories. You've all read novels and books where the has this big tragic thing going on, this scary thing or bad thing going on. But in the end, it says, and they live happily ever after. You know, the Disney fairy tale there. Or you've watched movies, you know, at the first it's really sad and, you know, it's this really bad event. And then at the end, it all ends to work out for good. But in your life, you know, it maybe hasn't gone so good so far. But God is able to rip some of those chapters out of that book and put in new whole sections into your book, the book of life, and your book of life, and wants to help write your story of what that's going to look like. And I believe he wants to do some of that today. Amen. Some of that today. So God wants to write our stories. So today we're going to look at the author of this book and what it means to be a father, and have a father in our life, our Heavenly Father, because he is the one author that can change things in our life. Yes, he is. I, I, I can send those boys some money I sent Holly and I sent our boy money a few weeks ago. We lived in Nashville, going through a tough time. We sent him some. And you know, we could send till we don't have anything left, and it's not going to meet all our needs because our needs are so great. Only God can really help what they really need that's going on. So, in my opinion, the number one role in a father, if you think about that, what is the number one role in a father? You think of the words like provider, protector, maybe even a teacher. But to me, the most important thing I think of the word for, for father is the word affirmation. Affirmation. If you were not affirmed by your father, whether he was in your life or not in your life, there's going to be a void in your heart that you're going, only the Holy Spirit can fill. There is no other father that can do it. Your husband can't do it. Your mom can't do it. There is a role that God gave the father to have in our lives. And if they don't fulfill it right, there's going to be a void there. God can fill it. God can still heal it, but it's going to take time. You know, one of our five love languages, you probably heard about it in weddings and pre-marriage counseling and things like that, the five love languages. What is one of the languages? Words of affirmation. And I would say probably... I don't know, a third or more of you guys in here, probably your number one language is probably words of affirmation. And if you don't get them, what happens to you? What happens to you if you don't get words of affirmation? This is is not something that it's nice to have. This is something that God hardwired you and designed you that you need. You need these things in your life. A child needs these things in life. They need to be affirmed as a person. They need to be affirmed for what they can do well. They need to be affirmed. We need affirmation. And I don't think we need to be shy to give each other compliments and affirmation. Amen? Because I don't think God is stingy on giving them out. So why do we think we can't give someone a compliment? It might go to their head or something. That's, that's how I grew up. That was uh, My parents told me that. I, I mean, uh, there was not a lot of affirming going on sometimes. If mom, you're watching, I'm sorry. I know I've forgiven all that stuff, whatever. But uh, there wasn't some affirming going on because they said that. They might go to your head and you might get arrogant, cocky, whatever. The problem was, because I wasn't affirmed enough, I had to go elsewhere to try to find out who I am. Yeah. had to go elsewhere to try to find out who, what I'm good at. And I can, I can remember sometimes just where I was actually standing when someone gave me a compliment, even to this day, because it was so rare in my life that someone would tell me I was good at something I had no idea. Like, wow, you're really good at baseball. Like, I am? I didn't, I didn't know. You're really good at this. Or, I had no clue because I wasn't affirmed. Okay? So it isn't a knock against my dad. I love my dad. We worked out our stuff and everything. He's in heaven now. It's good. But at the time, it had a big impact on my life. And it will you too. 
So we need affirmation in our life. A father could provide everything that you could ever need financially in your life. He could buy you a new car when you turn 16. He can pay for you to go to college. But if you are not affirmed, if you're not told by your father that I love you, son, I'm proud of you, daughter, uh, I'm so glad I'm your, I have the privilege to be your dad, if, you, if they don't know that and feel that, there is going to be a void in their life that nothing else can fill. Drugs, alcohol, sex, nothing was going to be able to fill that void other than God can heal that wound later. You know, I heard this story in college with this girl. When she was 16, her came from a very wealthy family. They bought her a brand new red something, nice car, brand new. When she turned 16, she drove it and uh, was popular and had good grades, was athletic, had all, everything you think of that would be like a, a good life that people would want. And when that girl was just after her 16th birthday, shortly after that, she committed suicide in that car with a note to her dad saying, you gave me everything I ever wanted but the only thing, I, everything I ever needed, the only thing I ever wanted was you. Amen. What a horrible story. Amen. What a horrible ending to her story. Because she wasn't affirmed. She wasn't complimented. She didn't, the dad was so busy trying to provide financially for the child, that didn't provide the emotional needs of that child to tell her, you're beautiful. I love you. Let's go hang out. Let's take me for a drive in that car. Let's go do stuff together. So you young dads out there, I'll just tell you that as a warning. Don't work night and day, day and night to try to have money to buy your, uh, buy your kids something you couldn't afford. Right. You can do that to a degree, but man, give them your life. Give them your heart. Let them know your weaknesses. Let them know your faults and failures. Let them know the real you. Amen? They already see your stuff, our stuff anyway. I'm not saying you stuff. I got kids here too. Uh, they see your weaknesses and flaws and failures. Even stuff we don't see about ourselves. They see it. You might as well be vulnerable with them and have a real heart-to-heart connection with them. Amen? Amen? So sadly for some families, some children, they don't grow up being affirmed, but they actually get the opposite of affirmation. They get word curses. They get a verbally abusive things and uh, unkind things like, uh, you are worthless, you are no good, I wish you were never born. Actual fathers have actually said those words to their kids. That they help bring to this planet. And they speak this death over them. Now when you have something like that. Or similar spoken over you. Whether the father was drunk in a bad mood or whatever. It has a way of sticking to you. Like somebody smacked this sign on your head. And you can't shake it until God helps you. You can pretend like it's not there. You can pretend like oh I'm just like everybody else. But you have a wound. It isn't going to go away. Time is not going to heal that wound. Time won't heal it. But the Holy Spirit can. Amen. And I do believe he wants to heal some of those wounds today. I heard a story recently. Um, this prophetic minister was ministering. I can't remember where, but he was preaching at a service. And he just felt the Holy Spirit uh, highlighting someone to him in the back. He didn't know who it was, but just a, a, a person in the back. He knew this. He said, there's a man here. You're in your 40s. And when you were nine years old, I see you with a baseball cap on playing baseball with your dad. And your dad was berating you, yelling at you and saying, you throw like a girl. Give me a second. That didn't happen to me, but I just feel that. Here this guy is now in his 40s, and he was nine at the time. Then he said, where is that nine-year-old boy? 
This man at the back, 225 pounds, six foot two with a beard, stood up weeping and crying, saying, I'm that boy, I'm that boy. I was that nine-year-old boy. That happened exactly like you said. That guy had a wound that started at nine years old because he felt like he was never good enough for his father. Never good enough for his dad. And, you know, since he was nine, he was trying to do all these things to try to impress his dad and, and, and try to, hey, dad, look at me. I did this well. I did that well. And he couldn't get past that. He couldn't throw a ball. <laughs> like, that's so important in life. Amen. How often do you do that once you grow up? But anyway, unless you play baseball. But can I tell you something? Uh, God doesn't want you to live like that. God doesn't. We've been doing Sozo's Inner Healing Ministry at the church for over 10 years now. And it's um, remarkable how many people can remember stories and situations just like that. Now they're in their 40s or 50s. We've had some in their 80s come. And they're still remembering something that a mother, a father, a school teacher, somebody spoke over their life at one point or another. And it's still sticking to them all these years later because they haven't received healing there. And you know what? God doesn't like that. I mean, he loves the per. He's sad for them, is what I mean to say. He's sad for them. That's not his heart. He wants to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, hearts children back to their father. And if it says, or else I'll come and strike the earth with curse, in this Old Testament verse. But think of the opposite of that. What happens if you do turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the children to the fathers? He's going to release a blessing. Amen. The father's blessing. Yeah. You want to see America blessed, this country blessed? Let's see dads step up and beat men. And be dads and love their kids and love their spouses like Christ loved the church. Let's see them be selfless and giving other time in their hearts to one another. Amen. So we need to know who we are based off what the Word of God says, not based off these negative comments over our life. But I'm telling you, when it happens to you, they have a way of sticking. I remember when I was in early elementary, maybe it was maybe it was middle school. I don't remember, but I was young. And I was reading. I always kind of struggled with reading. I, when God asked me to preach, I was like, I don't want to read in public. I, I struggled with it. I wasn't good at it. And my dad used to make me read sometimes at night, just try to help me get better. And uh, I remember in Sunday school one time, I was brave to read a section of scripture, and I read it wrong. I read something wrong in it. The teacher, I was kind of a class clown and stuff, and she, she thought, I, she assumed I was doing it on purpose, but I wasn't. And she made a big scene, and then everybody laughed, and I felt so dumb. So stupid. I was like, I will never read in public again, ever. So when I got to middle school, when a teacher called me to read something, I was like, no. I didn't care if I got an F. I didn't care. I, I, you could not make me no matter what. You could kick me out of school. I would have never, ever read again, no matter what. I wouldn't care. There was a time in my life I was so broken, hurting, and stuff, that my parents were threatening to send me to a boarding school. Because they didn't know what to do with me. It was all heart wounds, stuff that just happened. Not all from them, some from school, some from weaknesses and things. But those negative feelings can stick to you, those emotions, those stuff, until somebody, with the help of God's hand, can take that off, not just like a Band-Aid, but heal that wound. I remember one thing that helped me start reading in public, and I still, you you guys have heard me read sometimes. Sometimes I do good, sometimes I come up with words like, oh dang, because if I don't have it memorized... I'm in trouble because I didn't get the whole sounding out thing done very well. <laughs> I missed that, missed that day or that month or year or something. But anyway, so when I get a new word, you guys have seen it in life groups. You've probably seen it here. Uh, but but it, it took faith to get up here and do what I'm doing, knowing that I might mess up. They might think I'm dumb. They might think I'm not, a, a good, I'm not very smart or not a good reader. 
And so when it, when it started healing for me is one time I preached at this church in my internship. And the, the pastor's wife is probably only the nice thing she did other than cook for me that summer, just being honest. But <laughs> just, anyway, because uh, her and her husband were quite mean. Um, but anyway, another, another healing moment, but that's another day. But uh, she said, she goes, I really love your reading. I couldn't believe it. I was stunned. I was like, you like my reading? And she goes, yeah, you read with such, well, maybe I don't always, but then I was such emotion or passion, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And that one compliment, I wouldn't say totally healed, but it sure did a whole lot for that one insult I had way back when I was little. Amen. Amen. And God wants to take some of those negative things off our lives and, and heal those wounds. So um, God, God is not like our fathers. You know, when we see, when we have these instances, these snares with our dads, we can somehow superimpose that God's like that also. It's kind of like wearing glasses and you take a hammer and you smash these glasses and you put them back on. You're going to see the world through those lenses. Well, it's, sometimes when you have these traumatic experiences with your dad, your mom, somebody, all of a sudden you see the whole world through that. And God, want, I think, wants to give us some new lenses today of how he is and what he's really like. Matthew eleven twenty seven 27 says this, All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So no one knew what God was like except for Jesus. No one really knew what Jesus was like except for the Father. But he came to reveal him to us. Amen? Amen. He did. So no one ever called God Father or Abba before Jesus came on the scene. Okay? In fact, the Jews would not even say, fully pronounce his, his, his name of Yahweh. They wouldn't even spell it out. If you look at it, they might use four letters, might use a few here, a few there. They'd skip a few, and sometimes they would just not put it at all, and they'd write Adonai in there. But um, in Exodus 6, 3, it says, God said to Moses, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, Lord, all capital, uh, when it's all capitals, yeah, good, it's on there like that, it is the, the word Yahweh, I was not known to them. So this progressive revelation of who God is. They knew him as God Almighty, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they didn't know him as Lord. They didn't know him as Yahweh like Moses did. Um, so when you see, when he says, I am, I am who I am, that is the word Yahweh. That's where the word Yahweh comes from. He means that, um, I think I have a slide for this. Next one. I'll just read off of there. Yeah, the name Yahweh is the Hebrew word I am, and it means God is self-existent, self-sufficient, and God absolutely is. Hey, man, I like that. He's like, I am who I am. Tell him, what do you want me to tell him? What do I want to tell Pharaoh? I am. <laughs> what? That's not helping me right now. Anyway, but Yahweh has several meanings. It means that God never had a beginning, nor does he have an end. And it means that God is absolute reality, and he is utterly independent and constant, and everything depends on him. That's Yahweh. That's God. And so the Jews wouldn't even say Yahweh or even spell it out. But here Jesus comes on the scene and he starts talking about Abba. Who? Abba God, Abba Father, Abba. And they're like, what is this guy saying? Why is he saying this? Blasphemy. I mean, you had to think of what he's, but he was trying to show them who the Father, since he's the only one who really knew who the Father really was, he wanted to show us who the Father really was. And actually, this is Jesus' number one topic in teaching in the Bible was about Father. 
In the Gospels, in the first two chapters of the book of Acts, he's taught on Father, or used the word Father, 213 times. Almost twice as many times he taught on the kingdom. Okay? The Father. He came to introduce to us, you want to know what God's really life? Look at me. Look at me. Watch me. What do you say, the transfiguration? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. <laughs> you don't know anything. Listen to him. You think you know Yahweh. You think you know God. You think you know. They knew about the power of God. They knew he's God Almighty. They knew he was sovereign. They knew all these things. But they did not know him as Father. Yes. And that's what Jesus wanted to reveal to us is God Almighty as our Father. Okay? But there's another Father mentioned in the Bible as well. And we see this in John 8, 44. says, you belong to your father, the devil. Now he's saying this to the church leaders and religious people. That must have been a popular sermon or message that day. You want to carry out your father's desires. Oh man, man. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Who's he talking about? The devil. Okay. So there's two fathers here. One wants to lie to you. One wants to tell you the truth. Yeah. One wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. One wants to give you abundant life. And which one are we going to believe? Now, I know it seems so simple and I lay it out like that, but the, the, part of the problem is that the devil is a master deceptor. He's master at deception. He, he's been doing it for a long time. And even in, even in Christian circles, we go to church every Sunday, read our Bible and pray, we can still be deceived by the enemy because he's very subtle. Very subtle. These little white lies, little half lies, half truths, put it in there, and he just messes with your heart. Because you know why? He wants to write your story. He wants, to, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. If you can believe the lie, you're empowering the liar, which empowers these lies in your life, and it's going to impact you on an everyday basis, how you view others, how you view yourself, and how you view God. And he wants to write that story for you, if you let him. But God Almighty wants to write your story too. Amen? And we'll submit to him, humble ourselves under his mighty hand. He'll exalt us in due season, casting our cares upon him, because he cares for us. We listen to him. He'll write a story for you that you just can't hardly even imagine. Like he said, no eye is seen, no ears, uh, never even entered in the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love him. But he's revealed it by his spirit. Yeah. Amen. So, uh, uh, I want to show you another part of this here. Let's go into Ephesians 6. I want to show you something about this master liar who has his impact on our lives. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Just finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, it was on to say, stand therefore. So according to the word of God, we are in a spiritual wrestling match against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, and spiritual hosts or forces of wickedness. We're in a wrestling match right now. Whether you perceive it, whether you're aware of it, whether you acknowledge it, whether you don't, you are in a wrestling match right now. It's good versus evil, truth versus lies, life versus death. There is an all-out battle onslaught going on for the souls of humanity. 
in the spirit realm. And we're involved in some crossfire. Sometimes we get friendly fire. Sometimes we get there's all kinds of stuff going on in the spirit realm. But God wants you to know and believe what he says about you. But there's a liar out there that's trying to deceive us. When we believe the lie, again, we empower the liar. So the one we believe is the one we trust. And that's the one we trust, the one who writes our stories. Amen. Let me show you this in Romans uh, 6, 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? In Romans 8, 6 says this, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. There's that contrast again. Death versus life. Death versus life. Liar versus the way, the truth, and the life. Who are we going to believe? We love to sing the songs, and I love the songs too. But when the rubber meets the road, there's a fight to our faith. There's a part of your faith you're going to have to fight for. Fight the good fight of faith. That fight is believing what God said about you is true when you don't feel it. When you feel the, the opposite feels more true than the truth of what God said because of the experiences and, and the trauma from your past. Yeah. Yeah. We're seeing it through broken lenses, broken hearts, things that's happened. So... Uh, one thing we need to know is that, um, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but demons often get their names connected with their assignments. What they're, they're named by that. Think of the name Legion. It was named Legion in this one person. It said because they were many. Legion means many in the Roman circles. It was 5,240 troops, soldiers under. So this guy, I don't know if he had 5,240 demons or not. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't know. But he had a bunch of them. And they were named Legion because that was their, part of their assignment. Yeah. Or think of the mute spirit that made a person unable to speak. Or the deaf and dumb spirit mentioned in the Bible a few times that made a person unable to speak or hear. Or the spirit of infirmity it caused weakness. It caused sickness and pain. Two examples in the, long, in the New Testament are both long-term conditions. One was 18 years. It said the lady was a daughter of Abraham. Remember, she couldn't stand up. She was a hunchback. They said that was a spirit of infirmity. Also, the, the man at the pool of Bethesda uh, was, was crippled and lame for 38 years, said he had a spirit of infirmity. Okay, so these spirits get their name, uh, oftentimes in the Bible, from their assignments. Okay? So it's quite possible that these spiritual forces of wickedness, the principalities, powers, all the things, that they also get their names, these titles, from their assignments against the church or against the bride of Christ. Okay? So the word principalities... Is the word arche, I think I have that for you on the screen, yeah, is the word arche in Greek, and it means beginning or origin, beginning or origin. So if the naming of spirits is consistent, then the, and the assignment on these principalities is to cause people to question, then the assignment on these spirits is causing a question and doubt the beginning and origin of things. And we see that in our lives. We see that in society right now, the beginning of time, the beginning of mankind, uh, the beginning of creation, the beginning of God. Uh, this spirit wants us to question the origin of our creator or if there even is a creator. So these principalities have influenced people to come up with these new alternate ideas of where we came from, new alternate ideas of how this world got here. And that's where these principalities help develop with people the Big Bang Theory, okay? Or uh, evolution, that we evolved from monkeys. That's all inspired through demons. And a lot of these men who wrote these theories 
renounced them on their deathbed because they realized it was foolishness. But if you don't know who your father is, you don't know who your author is, who your inventor is, you got to come up with this alternate reality of how things work. And all of a sudden, there isn't a creation, there isn't a creator, there isn't a father or the most author and writes your story. There's these random two rocks that collided together. This random thing happened. It just randomly flung our flesh together and our eyes and our blood. It just randomly did all this stuff. It was, you weren't created. It was just evolved from a monkey, a chimpanzee or something. You're eating bugs off your backside and chewing on bananas. You, you have no value or worth. You're just a monkey. Who do you think wants you to believe that mess? Principalities and powers and spiritual forces of wickedness trying to put this stuff out there to cause you to doubt the existence of your creator, of your father, that you have an author and a finisher of your faith who has a plan for your life. It's a plan to prosper you and not to hurt you, a plan to give you hope and a future, but it's going to take faith to let him write that story in your life. It's going to take faith and not listen to these things. We're not the result of two rocks randomly colliding together. I know you know that, I'm preaching the choir on this, but we were created with a purpose, for a purpose, by a father. By a father who wants to intimately be involved in your life. Day in, day out, whether you're feeling good, bad, or whatever about yourself, he wants to be actively involved in your life every day. So the reason why these questions, these answers are even debated is because of demonic influence. Because it doesn't even make sense. You have these scientists that can understand concepts of things that we can, probably will never be able to grasp. They can think that two rocks can randomly bang together and all of a sudden everything is going to come out of nothing. They're like, well, where did the rocks come from? Well, when, where did all this stuff come from? And they're, they're super intelligent people, yet they believe these lies. Where did it come from? Principalities and powers. Anything that's going to make, take away from the creation of Jesus, anything away from creation itself, the demons are going to make you believe that. So, uh, these spirits are influencing people today, too, to question the origin of God's creation in regards to male and female. Yeah. Aren't they? Yeah. It's a demonic spirit, okay? It's a principality, origin. He wants you to question the origin of where you came from, the origin of who you really are, how God designed you to be. If you don't have a designer, then you can just, like, you just do whatever you want. You have no design. If you just imagine someone designed a car, but they had no reason to do it. What, what are you going to do with it? I don't know. I just thought I'd make a car one day and it's just sitting there. Don't know what to do with it. But the designer made you for a purpose, a plan, and a reason. But if you don't have one, you're going to fall trapped to everything that, that, that he wants to say. So it's never really been questioned in our day that I remember that uh, there's more than two genders. God said in Genesis 127 that we had that one on the screen, Genesis 127, that he, he created male and female, male and female. He created them. All right, today you go on Google and ask how many genders there are, and I saw just the other day there's 107. 107. And that number is growing. These are intelligent people. They're not, they're not all idiotics. They're not morons. They're not whatever. These are intelligent people that now believe that there's 107 different genders, and those genders are changing and growing more and more and more. What influenced that? Origin principalities and powers to cause intelligent people to believe something that's foolish. I'm not saying this to, 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 to talk about hate or anything like that. I want us to have mercy and compassion on them and bring them into the truth. If a train is running off a cliff and they don't know that the, the bridge is out, someone needs to, is it love to just watch them go by and crash and they're like, oh, that was entertaining? Or is it love to get up there and say, hey, stop the train. The bridge is out. You need to stop. You were heading the wrong direction, man. You got to stop. 
And I think we have to, with wisdom, and we can't just preach this message, whatever, to just anybody, whatever we want to. But I'm telling you, there is not real life in that scenario. Okay? So one website, um, I think I have that quote in there for you too. One website says that gender isn't about something, someone's autonomy. It's about who they know themselves to be. So it's not about your autonomy or your makeup. It's about who they know themselves to be. Another website said gender identity can be understood to include how someone describes themselves, how they present themselves, and how they feel. So that's why one day you can feel like a boy, I'm a boy. One day you feel like a girl, I'm a girl. And I know we laugh at this stuff because it's so hard for us even to comprehend in this society today that people are really believing these things. But I want you to realize that they do, and it didn't come because they're stupid. It came from a spirit. It's trying to question the origin of God's creation. It's part of that demon spirit's assignment is to cause them to question and doubt their creator. They have a, a father. They have an author. Okay? So... Whoever they feel is influenced by, whoever they feel is influenced by principalities and powers. That's why they can change from day to day or whatever. They can be fluid, they call it. All right? Um, this is really, really sad. And what's going on? It's demonic principalities. It's powers whispering stuff. In Every one of you in here have heard a demon speak before. It might not sound like this, like or something on a movie. You've heard him say, you suck. You're no good. Why don't you just go ahead and kill yourself? No one loves you. No one even go to your funeral. Everyone in here has probably heard either that word for word or something similar to that. You know why? Because that's their assignment. But if we listen to them, they're going to write a big chapter, a big section of our story will be by, by this what we've heard. But Jesus said, don't listen to the voice of the stranger. The voice of the stranger, don't follow that. Listen to the still small voice of my father. He is the way, the truth, and life. No one can come to him except through me. Come to me, I'll bring you to the Father. You'll get to know the Father, you'll know your real identity, who you really are, who God made you to be and created you to be. So, um, people, uh, let's see, in 2020, 9,985 gender surgeries were performed in America, even during COVID. 9,985. So we're supposed to stay home, not go out and do anything. But they're going to have 9,985 gender-changing surgeries. Okay? Is this confusion? All right. The devil is not only the father of lies, but he's the author or father of confusion too. 1 Corinthians 14, 33 says this. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. God is, not the author, God is the author of peace. He, uh, Satan is the author of confusion. God is never confused. That's right. He's never confused. Amen. He never has a question he can't figure out. Hmm, let me think about it for a minute. Yeah. He is, his, his, his processor is beyond the i9 or the M1 or the M2 or anything else Apple's going to come out with, whoever else Microsoft's going to come out with. His processor goes beyond the ability of mankind ever to create. He doesn't have to use a calculator. He doesn't have to, he, he knows everything. He is not confused. But when we listen to the voice of the stranger, there's confusion that comes in. Gender confusion comes from the father of lies, the author of confusion, whose ultimate goal is to steal, kill, and destroy their lives. You know, these boys uh, don't feel loved or they feel different. 
or they don't feel athletic, or they're, maybe they were raised by a mom and not a man in their life, so they act a little feminine. And so they, I must not be a man, I must be a girl. So then they start acting like a girl, dressing like a girl, talking like a girl, or even having surgeries to make themselves become a girl. They get confused, and they realize, you know what, I'm still not happy, so now what am I going to do? Well, man, I guess I must have this surgery, or have this, and guess what, then they're, they're still not happy. So then they try to do something else, now they're, I don't know, LMNOPs, LGBTQ and all their uh, 107 different genders. Well, let me try a different gender. And they're trying all these different things to try to find happiness and peace. But the devil is not the author of peace. He can't give them peace. Only the Prince of Peace can give us peace. And that's Christ. And our only true identity is only ever going to come from him. Right. Amen? Amen? Even CNN reported this, which I was really stunned because I'm not a fan. But CNN reported that transgender people face significantly higher suicide rates. Look at the fruit. Are we called a judge of, if this is really bringing them happiness, if this is really good for them, wouldn't, shouldn't this be really good fruit coming from it? But it's not. They have one of the highest suicide rates, if not the highest, in the country. Okay? More than 50%, I have a, this quote thing on the wall for you too, if you guys put up. More than 50% of transgender and non-binary youth in the states, across the states, in the U.S. seriously considered suicide in this past year, according to new survey data on worsening LGBTQ plus youth mental health crisis. So back in the day, uh, when someone believed like this, that was considered mental illness. Now it's just mental health issue. Um, now, whether it's mental illness, mental whatever, Either way, it's, it's, it's originated from a principality trying to lie about where you came from. Even in California, the most populous state for this kind of thing, 44% of LGBTQ plus youth considered suicide and 14% attempted suicide they found on the survey. And then the next one for this. And for trans and non-binary respondents, and the findings were worse, with 54% considering and 19% attempting suicide. Think about this. In our church right now, if 50% of us were, were thinking about suicide, and 19% of us, and just not this church, say the church universal, and 19% of the church was killing themselves, I think the government would be stepping in and shutting down our churches. Something's going on here that's not healthy. But yet they're promoting these surgeries, promoting this stuff, or promoting confusion. Unless they think they're going to find help, they're going to find life, they're going to find happiness, and they're looking for love in all the wrong places, they're not going to be able to find it because it's only found in Him. But you know, the guy at Micah's school that stood there with the signs and smeared the queer and all this kind of stuff, that is not going to change someone's heart. That is not going to change someone's life. They don't need hate. They are confused. The author of confusion has confused them to make them believe something and have all this people backing up what they say as facts and scientific proof and whatever they're saying. And they're not going to ever find true happiness they really find out who they are in Christ and know who their real father is. Their real father, their inventor, their creator, their God. So guys, I think this is a major problem. And obviously it is. Yes. It's a sensitive topic. I know some of you probably all know someone that's experiencing something like this. I'm not bashing your friend or your family member. I'm not. I'm just telling you, look at the fruit. If this was really good for them, 20% of them, 19, 20% would not be killing themselves. Amen. But they tried this, they weren't happy. They tried this, they weren't happy. They tried this, they still weren't happy. And they can't find happiness outside of Christ. And neither can you, neither can I. So Romans 8, 6 says this. 
Again, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. There is only one place to receive peace, and that's through your Father, through your Creator, knowing who God says you are, letting Him write your story. Uh, living a selfish life, you know, that, talking about the gender thing, it's whoever they feel. It's all based, it feels good, do it. If I feel like a boy, I'm a, a boy. If I feel like a girl, I'm a girl. Whatever they feel like, they can feel like a cat, they can feel like a dog, they can feel like a squirrel, they can feel like whatever, and that's just who they are. That is dumb. Okay, I mean, I know, and I, I don't mean, I'm not trying to insult them, but the whole thought of it is dumb. But it, it comes from a principality. Right. To question your origin, question, again, if you don't have a creator, but it's a self-centered lifestyle that everything revolves around you, and if I feel it, that's what I'm going to do. So, living a selfish life, a self-centered life, a life that says, feels good, do it, a life that tries to decide your gender based on your feelings is, a, is carnal and it's going to lead to death as we see in these stats. Amen? So I know some of you have friends that are going through this and whatever, they're, they're confused, they're challenged with it and they don't need condemnation. They do need a listening ear but you're going to have to, at some point you need to tell them, look at the stats. If you Google this, there's probably, I don't know how many pages of sites come up that will show you studies in different countries, studies in America, that will show these stats that I'm really shocked they even have them on there because it seems like they have an agenda to push this in a big way. But if we live a self-centered life, it leads to death. James 3.16 says this, for where, there, where envy and self-seeking exist, look what's there. What is it? Confusion. And every evil thing are there. Selfishness, self-centeredness. Where does it come from? Not knowing your father. Not knowing your father. Whether that's your earthly father, your heavenly father, most, mostly your heavenly father. But if you have to figure this out on your own, and you don't have a dad, hey, hey son, come here. Let me show you what I did when I was in this situation. And like, like the boy I talked to last night, it breaks my heart. Like He, he called me, and we talked, and... But he doesn't really have that guy. I can't be that guy all the time for him. Like, this is gonna, let's, go, let's go to a ball game. Let's go here. Let's go there. And so he's trying to figure life out on his own. And when you do, the father of lies is right there, whispering these confusion, these lying things that brings deception. That's what he does. So um, wh- who are you going to let write your story? I mean, there's a lot of different people here, different things going on in your life. Some of you young people probably heard these lies right in your own bedroom. That you're not a boy, you're a girl. You're not a girl, you're a boy. You've heard, I heard this story recently, uh, I think it was in a Bethel podcast or something. This mother was uh, holding her baby, like just two or three years old, holding her baby, going for a walk, and this baby boy says, I'm a boy. And she goes, yeah, you're a boy. And a little bit later she goes, I'm a boy. And she's like, yeah, you're a boy. And then she finally discerned in her heart, like, ah, this boy is going through spiritual warfare right now over his gender, over his gender identity right now. And she just stopped right there. Yes, you are a boy. And she just started speaking the word of God over him and just declaring it and just, just stopped and didn't ever bother him again. There is a spiritual warfare going on because guess what? If he can get you to do these things and believe the liar, where is it leading to? It's death, which is the devil's goal. Steal, kill, and destroy. The Prince of Peace or the Author of Confusion the father of lies or the way, the truth, and the life. Who's going to write your story? Hebrews 12, 2. I'll end with this. And I want to pray for people that want prayer because I believe God wants to break these lies off you. There's demonic assignments on our lives, schemes, they call them, 
wiles of the enemy. There's assignments from the devil that come on our lives. And if we're not discerning of them, we don't break the power of them to come out of agreement with them. They can influence us for years to come. Yep. Amen. I'm speaking as a witness because I've experienced it. Hebrews 12.2. Looking unto Jesus. Here's another father, another author. The author and the finisher of our faith. It's like he who began a good work is going to be faithful to complete it. You want to have a master author write your story? Let's trust the one who wrote the good book. Amen. Amen. The good book. And he speaks good things over you. The Bible says his thoughts towards you are like the sand on the seashore. He is in love with you. He's speaking life over you. He's declaring health, wholeness, soundness, safety. Just like shalom. He's speaking it over your life. But are we going to listen to him and let him write our story? Or the enemy? Let me finish this verse. Looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You think of someone that had that much power that much authority, why would he care about us? You know what I mean? Like, he could do anything. Go anywhere, be anywhere, do anything. But his most valuable, most precious thing he wanted to teach while he was here was about the Father. And now he is a father to us. He says, he is a father to the fatherless. You know, a lot of people in here, you had a good dad and he represented the father well. That's good. And probably a lot of people in here didn't. But either way, none of your dads were like as good as God. Amen. Not one. That's right. They might have had a great reputation with the community, might have been a great uh, spiritual role model, but not one is as good as God. And that's who he really wants to be, your father. Yes. Your real father. My dad passed away in 2015. Um, and I, I knew God before that, but I started to know him in, in different ways that I didn't quite know him before because... Dad's not around to call up on Thanksgiving or Christmas anymore. He's not around to call after I shoot a buck and I'm out hunting and just say, hey, you should come see this one. It's pretty good. Not as big as one you got here, but it's pretty good. And you have those talks and stuff. He's not there now. But you know what? Who's there? Yes. God's there. Amen. And he wants to invite you in and welcome you into these conversations and intimacy with him. Amen. So uh, I'm going to pray for people. Whether you want to stand up, whether you want to come to the front, want to ask me after service, I want to break some of these demonic assignments off your life. Whether it's believing gender issues, whether it's just believing that God doesn't love you, whether it's whatever the, whatever the assignment of the devil has put on your life, we have authority to break that in Jesus' name. Yeah. The devil is already defeated. We're not have to necessarily try to defeat him. We're just supposed to enforce the victory who Christ already paid for for us. We're enforcing that victory, just like the Romans had to do after they went to war. They just went and enforced the, the victory they already had, right? We're enforcing the victory that Christ paid for for us. You don't have to go through life in your 30s and 40s and still be scarred because you throw baseball like a girl or because your dad said something mean or your mom said something mean or a teacher made fun of your reading or whatever's going on. God can heal that wound so much that you, it, it doesn't even hurt anymore. That you can actually pray for other people going through stuff like that and help them receive healing as well. So I know this is personal. It's vulnerable. I'm not going to ask you to stand up and share your story or anything embarrassing like that. But if you want some, you know there's just some kind of demonic assignment, demonic demons, spiritual warfare, whatever it is. It's, it's schemes of the enemy on your life. You just know it's been tormenting you, bothering you for a while. I just want you to stand up where you are. I'm going to pray from here and just cancel that assignment over your life. God wants to heal hearts today. 
He doesn't want you to wait till you're 80, 90, 40, 50, whatever, to get healed. He wants to heal your heart now, to believe the truth that will set you free.